0: Welcome to the resilience podcast with Robin Drake. I'm your host Joe Saunders. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Brazilians Podcast. I'm joined here by Robin Drake. Robin is a best-selling author. He's a professional speaker, a trainer, a facilitator, and a retired FBI special agent, where he was the chief of the counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. Robin has taken his life's work of recruiting spies and broken down the art of leadership, communication, and relationship building into the five steps to trust and the six signs of who you can trust. Since 2010, Robin has been working with large corporations as well as small companies in every aspect of their business, whether it's newly promoted leaders, executives, sales teams, or customer relations. Robin has crafted his consultancy, People Formula, for quick results and maximum success. He's the author of three books, It's Not All About Me, The Top 10 Techniques for Building Quick Rapport with Anyone, Sizing People Up, A Veteran FBI Agent's User Manual for Behavior Prediction, and The Code of Trust, An American Counterintelligence Expert's Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. Robin, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast to talk about a very important topic of how do we build trust in our organizations. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's,
0: it's great to see you. What a what a year for building trust. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to unpack, my friend, and, and we'll, we'll see how far we can get in half an hour. But, uh, you bet. Robin, for for those that that uh, want to know just a little bit more about your background, uh, other than just the the quick paragraph I just read out. Um, uh, look, I, I know uh, we, could go, we could go deep, but if you just want to give a quick snapshot of who you are and how you got to where you are.
1: Yeah, it's um, where I, I love, love to tell the funny stories of failing at everything else I wanted to do growing up and wound up doing this. Um, so, yeah, I went to the Naval Academy um, and from the Naval Academy went to the Marine Corps, Marine Corps FBI. Um, people often ask me, so, Robin, how did you get to be the chief of the behavioral analysis program and counterintelligence in the FBI? I said, that's easy. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer, Navy pilot, and astronaut and absolutely failed at all those things. (laughs) (laughs) But what I ultimately did want to do is I wanted to become this great inspirational leader. And I had this massive type A personality, as you can tell from that um, that, um, bio you read about me. And if you're going to be a great inspirational leader, which means you're going to make it about everyone else but yourself. You're going to be the resource and success for those around you, resource and success for the companies in which you work. You cannot be self-centered. And so being able to get over yourself while still playing to your strengths is at the core of what I had to learn in leadership. I was, I was naturally born with that, that drive and energy and enthusiasm to move forward, but I didn't realize how to shift the focus from myself to others, which is at the core of great inspirational leadership.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's, a, that's a fascinating snapshot in itself, but uh, we, there, there are many different topics we could talk about with you, but the, the one that we kind of identified as being something that's very important as we enter into 2021, where we've got people, at least here in Australia, we've got people that are returning back to the workplace for the, possibly for the first time in a year. Uh, we've got people that have been through uh, separations of, of, of previous employment, that there, there may be a change in careers. Or um, you know, you've got people coming back to the workplace that have been there a long time, but they've been through a trauma, a collective trauma in terms of a pandemic, in terms of having their whole life uprooted. We've had uh, we've had a lot of issues going on. Uh, how do we go about building trust? Uh, and look, I have uh, I have read the Code of Trust, and I, and I love that you've broken down the Code of Trust and then rules for inspiring trust. But I won't give away the whole book in the, <laughs> with my own summary because they'll, they'll defeat the purpose of having you on the on the call. So, Robin. What what do you think are the fundamental elements of how we build organizational trust, like a cultural trust?
1: You bet. And actually, I'm going to hit on something I I don't hit on as strongly in the book, so it'll be adding to it. So that way, um, you I won't be repeating myself uh, for those that have read it or reviewed it. Um, what we want to do is we want to really understand other human beings, you know, because ultimately, in order to develop trust, we actually going to go with our genetics and biology of what we are coded to want to do and have done to us. And that is we want to affiliate with meaningful groups and organizations and affiliate with each other. And we want to be valued by each other. And, since a lot of us have been in lockdown, we've been remoting for so long. I mean, I can't remember the last in-person, actually I do. I remember the last in-person meeting I ever did was in February. It was at the human hacking conference where I was actually live and everything else since then has been right here in my dining room slash office in Virginia, United States. And so how do we do that going back into the workplace? How do we reestablish the most important thing that'll get us through professionally and personally as we recover emotionally, physically, and spiritually from this last year? we're going to make sure we want to demonstrate that value and affiliation to others. So we want to make sure we're going to seek the thoughts and opinions of others instead of sharing our own talk in terms of other people's priorities and challenges instead of sharing our own validate them, what they've been through everything, who they are, their thoughts and opinions without judging them, seek to understand them. And that's the empathy part. And finally, when appropriate, we empower people with choices. Cause when you do one of those four things, the entire shift shifts from you to others And they're going to trust you. Now, when you do that, the the really key critical element here is to make sure that you are sincere and genuine when you're doing these things. And so, how do you be sincere and genuine, which is a cornerstone of trust? It's simple. You have to have congruence between what you're saying and what you're feeling, because that way your nonverbal behavior is actually congruent with all these great words you're saying. And so, when you actually have that congruence and you have part of congruence is transparency about yourself and about your own insecurities and and your challenges as well as your strengths. That is what inspires great trust, especially when you become a resource for the success and prosperity of others in terms of what they think is one of their priorities. You put all that together and you got the golden formula for trust, relationship building, and ultimately um, for business partnerships. Partnerships and longevity are what really make companies and individuals prosperous.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I, I just nodded along with everything you said, because it, it makes all the sense in the world, but it actually is the opposite of what a lot of us do. Right. We, right. we, we, we say people, people want transparency. So we share all about us, but we're not actually asking about the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, like you, I've been presenting to workplaces all year from my office and, uh, and presenting a lot of training where I've got 16 or 20 or 50 faces on the screen. And I, you know, you know, when you do a lot of this training, sometimes you get, you develop these little quirks to entertain yourself. Like I became a bit of a bookshelf stalker. You know, the people that are sitting in front of a bookshelf, I see how many <laughs> I can recognize. It's like, I it just got uh, a wall behind me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I also found it interesting that the the organisations where everyone had a blurred background versus everyone had a, had a, sh- a shared background. It's like well, I wonder if that means anything. Uh, mm. And then you've got people that were happy to have a, a a trans like a normal background when they're talking to me. Then if someone else jumped on the call, they suddenly went to blurred background. What does that indicate about trust? That's interesting. interesting. Um, and
1: actually, it's really funny because there's a way. You, so there's a years ago when I was running our behavioural team. Every year when we did our annual training, we actually would research a bunch of books that we thought were appropriate for understanding other people. And we do book studies, kind of what I'm doing now with my company on a side is a book study. And I remember one of the books we gave out was a book called Snoop. And what Snoop was about, it's uh, what your stuff says about you. And actually, they did an analysis of people's desks at work, their their workspaces. And so you could tell things by people by one, what they had on their desks. Was it personal, prof- professional? The angles of thing, was it angled outward for other people to take notice of or angled inward for them? And so... When we're doing all these Zoom calls, exactly the same thing. You're making those observations, especially when you know people are changing their backgrounds when other people join calls. That's that's unique. Mine is
0: all about lighting. <laughs> about as simple as it gets. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, let, let's let's get into some some practicalities. Uh, we. Let's, let's put ourselves in the, in the shoes of uh, perhaps a new leader coming into a workplace uh, where maybe there's, there's been some cultural challenges. Maybe there's been uh, pre- previous leadership hasn't really done a great job of inspiring trust. Maybe we've got someone who's walk, coming into the, the workplace new, they're transferred laterally, whatever, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new challenge. What are some of the things they can do practically to start turning around the ship in and, and, and terms of building that culture of trust?
1: Um, first thing, they have to start building a reservoir of trust. Only, and that's going to happen over some time. You can, you're not, you know, people are going to be able, are going to listen to you a little bit when you first show up, um, but in order to actually be able to make change, you actually have to have a, a reservoir of trust built. Um, and when you take out of that reservoir, you got to build it back up. You know, so in order to do that, I'm going to go back to those four things again. You want to understand what was transpiring first, and not judge it either, because you do not know how other people viewed. You know, the organization internally compared to out, outside people view in the organization. A lot of times they might not know why you were brought in um, or why someone else left. Uh, all they know is their own cognitive little world in which they live and so again going back to those four things to discover those things is what's really important so you're going to seek their thoughts and opinions about what's been going on you're going to talk in terms of the priorities of the organization and then most importantly though you're going to talk and learn about the priorities of the individuals that are now working for you and with you because if you're not talking in terms of those things or at least understanding what those things are and you're guessing at them you can be way off because if you're not literally becoming a resource for them in terms of the things that are important to them you're wasting your time cuz they're not going to listen or pay attention. I want to make sure that you are valid. Yeah, go ahead. So you're going to say something. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going just gonna to echo that. It's, it's not all about you. It's almost like you wrote a book with that sort of title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, you have to discover these things because if you don't know the context, because that's what, that's what this all is about. You know, the first steps you're doing as a leader, especially coming into an organization, is discovering the context of the people that are now around you. How do they see the world through their particular optic and lens from their not just their workplace environment, but their gender, ethnicity, uh, orientation. Um, You know, even in, as I I know, I have a good number of friends in Australia. I know every, you know, different province or whatever you call them in Australia had different types of lockdowns. You know, as I have a friend in Melbourne and she was devastated um, by the type of lockdown that she was in for a while. Um, And then I have other people in Queensland that, you know, not nearly as bad. Um, And same thing in the States, you know, so understanding how people see the world through their optic is really critical and uh, important. I'm, one of the, I'm just kind of relating to what I would do uh, when I was, you know, still with the bureau. You know, my, one of my main jobs in protecting national security was countering threats from China. You know, but if I went into some place and you know to a company or a corporation and said, "Hey, China's eating your lunch here, and here's what I want to do about it." Boy, yeah, it's a real. That kind of statement is hugely fraught with the risk. And same thing, if I was a leader coming in saying, "Hey, I understand you guys. I was hired because you guys have been been devastated by what China's been doing in your company. What I what I failed to understand is they might not all think that. They might not have experienced that. And so instead, the best question to go in with again, seeking thoughts and opinions, hey, what do you think about China? <laughs> Now I start understanding what their thoughts are, what their observations are, what their impact has been based on that size of thing. Then once I understand that context, now I can start understanding framing. I can start then building upon that. Either I'm going to, I'm either going to be challenged with helping them understand that, wow, it is actually a bigger threat than you think it is. And if you actually say it's a threat, I can say, oh, what kind of things do you think we can do about that? Instead of saying, here's what we're going to do. So again, you want to make, make sure that people are feeling part of the process that they're being listened to and that they have input. doesn't mean you're, you know, as a leader, you're going to necessarily do everything they say, but people, they don't necessarily need you to take actions on what they say. They just want to make sure you understood and heard what they said. And so you start doing that. You start
0: building that trust. Absolutely, it's one thing that we we coach people on all the time: is if you want to uh, you want to facilitate change, make sure that the, the people that are going to be affected by the change have had input. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, you don't have to do what they said, but they at least want to be consulted, right? Absolutely, <laughs> they, 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 absolutely, they've been listened to. And and if you if you decide to take that information and discount it or it it doesn't weigh up against something else, that's fine. But as long as you actually consult with those people, because uh, we've seen a lot of organisational change programs that failed because the the people that were actually going to have to do the heavy lifting were not asked what they thought. Uh, And therefore it's just an inconvenience for them. And here's where you can build up that,
1: that leadership bank of of goodwill as well. So even if you don't take their input, but you sought that input one, that's going to build that, that bank a little bit, but you want to really accelerate that bank, share with them what, you know, how, what they said, you know, was in terms of or not completely in terms of the priorities and the missions of what you're trying to accomplish. And and actually, if you can actually, you know, Great leaders use great positive language where they can actually glean one or two nuggets out of a whole bag that they were given. And and instead of saying, Hey, here's what we're not using with you. You can actually say, Hey, here's a couple of things that you actually said that actually are in line with the priorities and the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. So I really thank you for that. So great leaders will find the greatness in the smallest things and validate, because remember, that's one of the four things you want to do and validate those thoughts and opinions. That's going to build that bank um, for you to be able to dip into if you ever need to.
0: Yeah, let's expand upon that. You, you mentioned a few times building the reservoir building, building the uh, the bank of trust there. And, and quite rightly, you said it, it, it takes time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very rarely you trust someone immediately uh it's it's always a good sign if you do trust someone immediately although it's also sometimes a sign that you've met a really good con man <laughs> if you do if you like oh i trust this person but i'm not sure why It's like hmm, maybe maybe just explore that a little bit uh but uh but let's talk about how you actually go about over time building that reservoir of trust i know i know it comes back to those four points you keep, you keep re- uh referencing Um uh, how important is that consistency and congruence as you as you alluded to at the start uh, extremely important. As a matter of fact, so
1: I, in this last year, I have, I've wound up partnering with a good number of people, um, interacting with numerous people numerous times like yourself. And, and I was asking myself, because so like, like some of these relationships I've, I've delved into professionally, I, I jumped in all in rapidly. And, you know, which is, you know, which you would think is like, hey, this, this behaviorist um, guy was, you know, he'd be more slow moving, more contemplative. And then I really thought about like, what inspired me, you know, to want to do that and assess that, you know, and in other words, how did they build their bank with me so fast? And that goes to the six signs um, you know, of, of sizing people up and, and really assessing this rapidly. And that is the first thing they did, uh, and, and this is all going to come back to congruence, like you just mentioned a second ago, is they demonstrated vesting in my success. And they are able to quickly articulate in their words, deeds, and actions that they saw how my success was completely tied to their success. And so they're able to bridge those two things together. And it made complete sense. The second thing is they didn't look at the interaction with me as transactional, you know, short term, they actually were talking longevity. So they're talking long term, you know, they're talking about the plans for the year, they're talking their one year goals, their two year goals, and their three years goals, and how together um, what they thought was, you know, tied together, you know, for those things. Through, you know, doing some quick research on, you know, when you get an email from someone, you see their company, they're from you do some quick research, and you can quickly, get a, a decent idea about the reliability. In other words, are they competent in what they do? And then through your conversations pretty rapidly, you're going to see if they have the diligence and energy and team to follow through on that. Cause that's part of it. They're using that great language as four things with me. And you know, from what I can assess again, short-term, it could derail rapidly. But again, when you're assessing they're, they're emotionally stable. And so when I'm looking at those things, you can assess, you can observe those things pretty rapidly. But now when I'm seeing great congruence with their nonverbals, with their um, tenor, their intonation, their voice, their vocals, everything I'm seeing on a Zoom call, when I'm seeing lots of congruence, which is translating to transparency, um, when I have questions or concerns, um, speed of response, whether it be a via email, text or interper- you know, via Zoom, all those things are, are some really good points to say, hey. I can actually take another step forward because they built a pretty decent bank really early on. And so far, it hasn't let me down. So we'll see. Now, again, the key here, manage your expectations, you know, because, hey, and I always say things can go sideways, you know. And so I always will, you know, when I assess someone pretty rapidly like that, again, it doesn't happen all the time, but in the few cases that you do, um, I manage those expectations. And hey, this is kind of a, a risky thing I'm doing. But as long as I'm not investing a whole lot of my resources in this, except for some time, you know, let's explore this together and see what happens.
0: Yeah. Really, really interesting. Uh, and, and I think there's a, there's a valid point for, for anyone who's looking to do business with, with others. I mean, obviously, whether it's your customer, whether it's a, whether it's another business you're partnering with uh, the skills to be able to build trust quickly. Uh, and that, that takes a long time off that sales cycle. Uh, if you can get people to trust you immediately, and it's not a, it's not a six to twelve months slow dating process before you actually get a signature. Uh, that that can have massive impact on the bottom line and in terms of just just incoming business and getting things moving. Because sometimes we expect these these processes are going to be a very very long drawn out. A lot a lot of coffees and a, <laughs> and, a, and a, a lot of drinks and a lot of a lot of tickets to sports games and whatever else is going to take to build trust. And it's almost like a courting process. But if you can speed that up, uh, that has dramatic impact.
1: And if you can, great. And if you can't. Remember the tempo and pace is set by others, not by yourself. I mean, because if you start pushing tempo and someone else isn't ready for that, you're then you're gonna come across as creepy. And then the likelihood starts decreasing rapidly. Because again, now now if you need to push tempo because of a timeline you're on, because of the pressures you're under, because of the structure of organization, whatever it is, no problem way you offset that is be transparent with the fact that you're on a timeline and so that that way if they're not ready for that tempo and speed you can say hey listen you know here's what my timeline is because of x y and z if that's too fast for you i completely understand let me know now and i won't be a bother to you cuz at least then you're going to at least leave them better for having met you. Their, their thoughts of you are positive. You're going to have a better personal brand from it. And then you're going to get referrals because, you know, again, transparency can really offset a lot of those negative things.
0: Yeah. I'd like to change gears just slightly and uh, and give you, a, I guess, kind of a specific situation that, that I'm curious about because it's, it's a situation in my former career I found myself in. Uh, where perhaps you've got a leader who's, who's built really good, really good relationships and trust with their, the people underneath them, that they've got a a good, uh, culture of trust within their unit, but they're getting pressure or they have to make a decision. They have to make a call that's, that's come from the board or come from the next level of management. They feel like when they, when they relay, this it's going to break some of the trust they've built with their people. Then maybe they have to make an unpopular decision, whether it's layoffs, whether it's changing working relationships. Uh, I mean, obviously COVID has changed a lot of things. There's a lot of people that a lot of leaders that have been in this position where they've had to make unpopular decisions and feel like they're, they're abusing or breaking this trust. They've spent years building. What sort of advice do you give to leaders in that, in that position? Because uh, I mean, on one hand, there's a, there's definitely a strong inclination that I need to protect my own personal brand. I need to protect my own personal and, and and sort of throw all the blame on the board or on the, the decision makers. But, We know that's not the right thing to do either. There's there's perfectly valid reasons why this has happened, and we want to make sure that we're not just sort of throwing the company under the bus, so to speak. Uh, How how do you sort of balance the nuances of that sort of situation?
1: You know, I I I I thought about this, and I've believed this my entire career, and I adhered to it. And then uh, I recently read uh, Jocko Willink and Leaf. Baron's book on uh, extreme ownership, and and so you have a couple of Navy SEALs saying the exact same thing, and this is what you got to do. You have to understand why. You know, you as the leader first have to understand why you have to make the decisions you're being forced to make, and you start out by understanding that people aren't doing something to be malicious. They're not doing something to undermine the company. They're not doing something to hurt people. You know, if you take that as your as your understanding premise then you can move forward from there. So first, no one's being cruel, no one's being mean, no one's being inconsiderate. Um, They're making the best decisions they can for what they understand the company's priorities and missions to be in order to move forward. Your job is to figure out why if you don't, because your next job as a leader is to be able to articulate to those under you the why. This is why we're doing it, because it's in furtherance of the mission of the company, of the priorities we have, of the priorities of our team, and the mission of the team. And the only way you can do it is if you know it. And so the onus then comes back on. That's where that one of the meanings behind the expression of extreme ownership is you have to own it. You have to understand it. You have to own it because if you can't understand it and own it and pass it on, it isn't going to go into it. doesn't mean you're going to be popular necessarily. doesn't mean you're going to make friends, but when people understand that, that goes a lot further, a long way to develop trust because trust is based on one of those things is transparency. And if you understand the why you could be transparent as to the why, instead of saying, Oh, this is just what management saying." I have no idea. Management sucks. You're going to blow trust right there. Cause now you're creating a we, they situation rather than a team situation where we're all moving forward together and here's a decision we we have to make. We have to make the collective pronoun in order to move forward.
0: Yeah, I think that consistency is so important there because it you don't. It's, uh, sometimes uh, I think leaders get mixed up between uh, b- between having a good culture and being liked. And and I think sometimes you don't have to be liked as long as you're consistent. Yeah, as long as I, as long as I, I I know like that I I trust this guy is going to make the right call. I just don't. I don't trust them. I like it all the time, but at least I understand their reasoning and I understand they're going to do the right thing by by the business. And sometimes, most of the time, it's going to it's going to benefit me. Sometimes I might be on the short end, but as long as the, the reasoning is consistent and it's not uh, irrational, I think sometimes that that is more important than being liked all the time.
1: Yeah, and matter of fact, you you reminded me of a great conversation I had my son uh, who's at the Naval Academy right now, and. Um, I remember when he was first there and his plebe summer, you know, when they first getting indoctrinated and, and going through their their sort of boot campy like things. I remember he told me uh, at the end of the summer how he was disappointed because um, he wasn't liked by all these people. And he was equating leadership with liking. And it really kind of challenged me because my code of trust, it's all about, you know, being being there for others and liking will kind of infuse itself in there when you're when you are taking care of others sometimes but when I really thought about it deeper I was like leadership has really has nothing to do with liking because what I have these three pillars of my leadership that I believe very strongly in and I it's kind of the bedrock of, of most and that is leaders do three things I call them the three legs that hold up the stool one leaders accomplish the mission plain and simple they accomplish mission the second they keep people safe the mo- emotionally and physically because if you don't keep people safe you're not going to be able to accomplish the mission and the third thing is, is they they're an available resource for the success and prosperity of their people without expectation reciprocity, because that's what inspirational leaders are. They are there for their people. They're morale officers. They're people that help people advance in their careers. They help them get them where they're going. And they're, they're an objective resource for those things. And that's how companies, and organizations and anywhere moves forward in families and everywhere else. And I, I related these things to my son. I said, does that all make sense to you? And he goes, yes. I said, so where's liking in there?
0: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's, it's interesting if I look back on uh the most influential leaders and even even the teachers that I had in, in school that um I now look back on and go man they had the biggest impact on me half of them I didn't like like at the at the time I really didn't like them because I didn't understand what they were doing and why they were why they were pushing me so hard or why why they were never happy with what I did and and it was because they knew I could do better Right, and they they, and they they knew that there was there was a, there was an end game, and they didn't really care if I didn't like them at the time because they had to get me to where I needed to go. And uh, and I, I look back on that, and even though at the time, especially especially when I'm talking about teachers when I was young and egocentric and I, and I couldn't couldn't see outside of my own immediate needs, uh, you know, I, I look back on those teachers now, and I'm like, man, I'm so glad I had those people in my life because the the anger they stirred up in me actually made me perform better. You know, sure. <laughs> so what do you mean that A-minus isn't good enough? I'm so much ahead ahead of everybody else. Like because. They know you can do better. You're mailing
1: it in. It's it's easy to reflect on those things. I mean, I I look back, same thing. You know, did I like these people that were my greatest teachers, mentors, and guides, or did I admire them, you know, and and did I respect them? You know, I'll go for admiration and respect other than liking, because liking someone is mostly based on commonality of morals, ethics, beliefs, and and interests. Um, A lot of times it has nothing to do with all these other factors that actually make inspirational leaders.
0: Yeah, all right, Robin. Just, just to uh to bring us home, I, I want to just ask you one one final question before we talk about a, a little bit about your products and and what you offer. But uh, if you had one piece of advice for leaders that are, I guess, in, inheriting a, a, a somewhat broken or or uh I guess damaged people that are coming back into the workplace, and and look, some of them are going to be fine, some of them will be thriving in the in the online environment, some of them are going to be perfectly normal, others are going to be wishing they could stay at home <laughs> and, and others have been through some, yeah, a pretty rough year with those leaders that are bringing their teams back together into one physical workplace. What, what's the advice you would give to them to recreate that culture of trust and to, and to look after everybody. Yeah. Uh, it's actually the advice I give all the time, which I
1: think is the easiest thing to start doing because it doesn't require any extra time. It just requires a better focus. And that is one, update, because you might have already know, update the priorities of those people around you. You know, what their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, what their challenges have been, and, and figure out how you're going to be a resource in terms of those priorities. So update your priorities on every individual. See if you can come up with the top three, personal and professional. That's a great challenge. And the other thing is, go out of your way to discover their strengths. Everyone's got weaknesses. Everyone's been challenging something. Everyone's got you know insecurities that they're going to deal with coming back in the workplace. All right, get over those. Stop focusing on those. We all got them. Focus on their strengths. You know what did they, what what great things they learned during this lockdown? What things? What new skills they develop because of this? I mean, w- there's no doubt we all have come away with something. I've become a better, more avid reader. I know how to use technology a heck of a lot better. <laughs> you know, and you know, and so focus on their strengths know how to validate those and, and utilize those and focus on their priorities and figure out how you're going to be a
0: resource for them in terms of those priorities. Excellent. Really, really good points. Now, Robin, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you uh, what you offer. We, we talked offline a little bit about uh, some of the online offerings you have uh, people formula.com. That's the that's the address, correct? Absolutely. That's my website, peopleformula.com. Uh, I got everything scaled
1: for anyone in the world. <laughs> if you want free things like a podcast, uh, I got a page on there with all the current podcasts. It'll be listed there on as well all the way up to my online training academy. And that's what is the great offering there is I have uh, numerous courses, uh, whether you're going for rapport, trust, or being able to assess trustworthiness in others, I have my online training academy. And for your audience that's listening, I created a coupon code. It's called Resilience 25 just as spelt in your uh, in your podcast. And that gives you 25% off if you enter that coupon on any of my online training, including one-on-one coaching with me. So um, that's for your audience. And again, everything from... Quotes of the day, uh, I literally just launched uh, at the beginning of the year, a book study as well. So I'm going through a book every couple of weeks since uh, hell, I'm reading so many books now anyway on Audible. Uh, I'm actually sharing all what, what I'm learning with everyone else. And so uh, jump on board with that and, and uh, pay attention to that as well. And uh, we'll have a
0: great year together. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Robin. It's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Uh, and I encourage everyone else, check out peopleformula.com and remember the coupon code, Prezillions25 for 25% off very generous of you. Thank you, Robin. I uh, hope you uh, enjoy the rest of uh, 2021. It started off interesting. Let's, let's see how it continues. <laughs> Just keep building windmills for the windstorm. <laughs> That's it. I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you, Robin. I'll talk to you again soon. See you, Joe.